There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Our show last week featured two women, Jordan and Anne, who are cancer previvors. Both found out they carry genes that make it highly likely that they'll be diagnosed with breast cancer one day. Here's a bit of what they had to say. I unfortunately lost my mom at just shy of two years old from breast cancer, so I've always known that there is a likelihood I could carry the genetic mutation. Unfortunately, my mother passed away prior to being informed or even having an understanding of what the BRCA gene is. Um, so my, my dad always talked to me about the, the genetic mutation and the possibility. So. I've always known that that was a possibility. And as I grew older um, and got some of my ducks in a row, including life insurance, um, and found a partner and and got settled in life, it was a conversation together where we ultimately decided to explore the possibility of me carrying that genetic mutation so that I always use this saying that I can kick cancer's butt before it ever has a chance to kick mine. And that was really the driving kind of analogy throughout the entire process. I feel like I had no choice. I was stuck. Like I was given this diagnosis and either I sort of bury my head in the sand and ignore it or I tackle it head on and have a mastectomy. So it is kind of an interesting one where everybody's like, oh, that's so brave, so brave. And I'm like, I didn't have a choice. But at the same time, I know I did. I could just wait it out and take a risk. I think for me, it was not a choice because it was so obvious to me that this is what I would do. Those are just two of the many stories producer Stephanie Dubois gathered for our show. And it's not just about breast cancer. The discovery of new and different cancer genes means more people are becoming previvors and need to figure out what to do about it. And Stephanie is back with me this week. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Brian. We got a huge response to last week's show especially from cancer previvors, what did they have to say? Yeah, we got a lot of emails and Facebook messages as well. We got, you know, a lot of personal stories from people who are previvors. And, you know, some of them went into great detail, which I really appreciated reading. It was really nice to see. You know, some of them said, though, that upon learning of their genetic mutation, they also had preventative surgeries done. And many of the emails from the previvors said that Jordan and Anne's stories from last week really resonated with them. When a family member tests positive for a cancer gene, many people want to get genetic testing of their own. What kind Mm -hmm. of access to testing is out there? Yeah, so it really depends on your individual situation and ultimately where you live. I mean, based on the conversations I've had with genetic counselors across the country, there is this you know, triaging, if I can call it, that is done based on the immediate need of the testing and the counseling that needs to be done. It also depends, you know, on what the provincial health authority or sometimes the local genetic clinic itself deems as a priority. In some provinces, that priority list can vary even from one clinic to another. 
But what we do know is that genetic testing is in very high demand, as we'll hear a little bit later in the show. So do we have any idea how long people have to wait for genetic testing in some cases? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in some cases, it could be months. In other cases, it could be years. And I want to tell you about one of them because it highlights the deficiencies in our system and how they have a tragic impact for the individuals that are involved. Lisa Barbosa is 43. She's a mother of two boys who are four and a year and a half. She's originally from Brazil. And even before she came to Montreal in 2010, she was really worried about her cancer risk. Her mom and her maternal grandmother were diagnosed in the early 40s with breast cancer. And on her dad's side, there were cases of breast and prostate cancer. And here's what she had to say, though, about that strong family history. I always been very, even before my mom had cancer, I always been very attentive to this. This has always been in my mind that because of so many of family occurrences. And I think with my 20s that I started to have, like early 20s, that I started having, that I had my first biopsy, you know, like very early. And that I started getting getting starting getting worried that this type of thing could uh, could happen with me so so lisa is obviously motivated to get tested what happened mm -hmm. when she tried to get the testing done yeah so she said she felt that she wasn't considered a priority and uh you know that was really distressing for her she eventually got on a wait list but she ended up waiting seven years before she finally got the genetic test done seven years yeah it was a very long time Wow. So what changed so that she was finally able to get the testing done? Yeah. So a little bit of her story. Um, so when she had her second son, she ended up getting this really painful lump on her right breast. Her specialist at the time said it was just clogged milk ducts and not to worry about it. But it wasn't until she went to a clinic for her son's checkup that a nurse there said, no, you should really get that checked out. She ended up paying out of pocket to get an ultrasound done at a private clinic because the wait through the public system was just too long and she was just in so much pain. Here's what happened next. When the doctor did my ultrasound, he saw, oh, this is not looking good. <laughs> and I, I, I did a biopsy right away with him in private. And that's how it begins. And I had to... With the results that it was cancer, it was fast, so I need to do a surgery fast. So like she mentions, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she ended up having surgery six days after finding out. She didn't have a double mastectomy like she wanted. Uh, her doctor was really insistent that she should only remove part of her breast. Um, and, but I should also add during that this time, she paid $500 US to get a genetic test done online because she really wanted to know if there was a genetic component to her breast cancer diagnosis. And it told her that she tested negative for the BRCA1 gene, which she later found out was just not true. Yikes. God, yeah. this, this story yeah. has, has so many red flags in it. Did she ever get the testing done through the public system? Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, you know, seven years after getting on that wait list, she finally got it done. But I mean, you know, seven years is a long time to wait for that that result. And, you know, she says it was only after she was a cancer patient that she got that test done. She really wishes the testing happened sooner. Here's what she has to say. Still angry that I couldn't do the genetic test earlier, even with the request from the doctor and the, all my history. That would save me so much. Would save me so much. 
I could just remove my breasts and remove the fallopian tubes, and I still couldn't get pregnant with with insemination, for example. And then after I'm done with the kids, I could remove the ovaries and the uterus. That that's who, was the plan that I that I had in mind. If I had the opportunity to choose before. And and this is a situation that that we were anxious to put to a genetic counselor. We'll have that conversation a little bit later in the show. But I, for you, Stephanie, how typical is Lisa's story? Yeah, Lisa's story really stood out when I was interviewing pre-vivors. Um, as we'll hear a little later in the show, her case is uncommon, according to one genetic counselor. But it does happen with those long wait lists. And, you know, who is at the top of the list and who is near the bottom really can vary from province to province, as I mentioned earlier. And what we do know is that wait times can be long for genetic tests if you're lower down on that list, right? So of course, that wait time could vary depending on where you live, but we'll hear more about that from a genetic counselor. And meanwhile, we're continuing to receive a lot more responses. You have Mm -hmm. some letters that we've received. Yeah, like I said earlier, we got a lot of responses in the inbox. Um, I want to start with this letter from Diane Hill. She wrote, my son, Jeff, had cancer of the esophagus at age 35. As they were testing for immunotherapy compatibility, they discovered he had a positive variant on the TP53 gene, which is named Lee-Fromeni syndrome. That means the gene that is responsible for fighting off tumors was damaged. Unfortunately, Jeff died in 2020, but he alerted the rest of the family to be tested. My husband, daughter, and three granddaughters are all positive. This means they are screened thoroughly with MRIs, blood work, and other scans annually. Good news is that if there ever is cancer, we will catch it early. The bad news is that worry is always in the background. Wow, that that heartfelt email was from Diane Hill. And, you know, the thing about cancer of the esophagus is that you could zero the risk by removing the esophagus well Mm -hmm. in advance, but that would really dramatically affect the quality of life. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that means, as Diane says, worry is always in the background. Stephanie, you have another email? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Anna Maria from Ottawa writes, you know, I'm a cancer survivor. I had an operation to remove two malignant brain tumors in 1989. I'm convinced I have a genetic predisposition to cancer. There's definitely strong history of cancer on my mother's side. My mother gets precancerous lesions that need to be burnt off or operated on. My uncle died of prostate cancer that spread and had complications. My mother also had two cousins die of cancer. And Ojoe, my paternal aunt, died a few years ago of cervical cancer. However, I take my genetic predisposition to cancer in stride. When I was finally diagnosed at 14 with brain cancer, I treated the whole matter as having a common cold. I did not freak out. I would get operated on, go home, and live my life. Fortunately for me, it turned out that way. I turned 15 in the hospital, and after I got home, I knew that having children was not a good idea. I was offered free genetic testing slash counseling, but declined. I decided as a teenager that I would have cats instead of children. You cannot deny you had the illness, but you can decide to move forward and do what you can do instead of dwelling on whatever you no longer can do. So, you know, clearly in this case, in this email from Anna Marie, it's not just about whether or not you're going to have surgery, but whether or not you're going to have children. Mm-hmm. And it, it just shows just how many different aspects there are to cancer pre-vivorship. And uh, I gather you've got another email. Mm-hmm. We have one more, Brian. We got an email from Carol Stott in Oshawa. She wrote, it's with mixed emotions that I am reminded that I too had genetic testing last fall. I have a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. 
the genetic marker for pancreatic cancer has not been as yet identified, but my results of genetic testing showed I do not have genes that carry other cancers, which gave me some comfort that I would not be passing those cancers to my children. Chemotherapy treatments are no longer working after 12 treatments, and I have been given three to six months. I guess I got the raw end of the stick when it comes to cancer. Quality of life now is important to me, and at this point, I'm looking forward to enjoying spring and summer in the garden with family and friends. Oh, my. Yeah. That's awful news. It's heartbreaking. And uh, I reached out to Carol because I just wanted her to know that we heard her and, mm-hmm. that, and that, you know, this is awful news and, and, and we're with her. I, I'm, Carol, I'm so sorry that you're going through this if you're listening to our show right now. Um, Stephanie, the stories that you've brought to the show are incredible. And uh, I know we're continuing to get more reaction. I just wanted to thank you for bringing this uh, story, these two stories, these two shows to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a big thank you to the the women that were so very candid with me about their journey as pre-vivers and the genetic counselors about the system demand as well. Much appreciated. We'll be right back. Okay, don't skip ahead. I'm going to talk to you about climate change. And I know it can get depressing or infuriating, but our show takes a different approach. It's Laura Lynch, and I'm the host of What on Earth? And we're all about solutions and hope. And I promise, no matter how overwhelming climate change might feel, we're with you on the journey to fix this mess. So listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, part two of our series on cancer previvors. The growing number of people who through genetic testing live knowing it's highly probable that one day they'll get cancer. So far, we've heard from cancer previvors. On this show, we wanted to talk to someone on the other side of the test results, a genetic counselor. Laura Palma knows all about that. She's a certified genetic counselor at McGill University Health Center in Montreal. Laura, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Thank you for having me. You've been at this for 18 years now at McGill. I remember when the breast cancer genes BRCA1 and 2 were first discovered to great fanfare, like the announcement. Um, How important is genetic testing today in expanding the number of cancer previvors? Well, um, the genes were discovered BRCA1 and 2 before my time, but you're right. That story uh, dates back to to my colleagues uh, at McGill at the, at the time in the early 90s. I think over the course of my career, at least the last almost 20 years, I would say probably the, the greatest sort of snowball that we've seen is in the last five to 10 years. I could name a myriad of common cancers for which Testing either of a tumor or testing of the germline, so the DNA and all the cells of the body, is needed to guide medical management, whether that be for treatment purposes or surgical decision making. And obviously, with every new gene carrier that you identify, now the cascade effect of that and all of those previvors in that family snowballs as well. So we've sort of become the victims of our own success, if you like. And this isn't esoteric information. This is information that you can apply to make a difference in your health. Absolutely. I mean, I I can't, I mean, obviously I'm a bit biased, but there are not too many other branches of medicine where we can have a test result and kind of with fairly reasonable accuracy, 
give you a roadmap for what the next 30, 40 years might look like. I mean, what other tests in medicine can do that? So we've gotten pretty good at, 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 at paving the way of age-associated risks and if you're thinking about preventative surgery, how to maximize the benefit of those interventions. Look, there's still a lot that we don't know, but I think um, if women want to have a, you know, want to know what, what their future might look like, I think we can guide them through that process. We got a lot of reaction to the show. We've already presented some of it. Uh, we received emails from cancer previvors who said genetic testing changed things for them and their close biological relatives. For instance, a mother wrote to us that her son with cancer of the esophagus tested positive for a variant on the TP53 gene. After that, several family members of, of his got tested and were also positive. How often do you see that kind of explosion of positive testing uh, in your practice? Every, every week. <laughs> Uh, TP53 TP is a very unique gene. It's associated with a condition called Leifromani, which has very broad cancer risks and, and uh, requires very, very intensive surveillance, even in children. Um, so that's, that's quite unique uh, from something like BRCA1 and BRCA2, which really relates more to an adult population. But as we, we know, like I said, the snowball effect, that cascade effect for every gene mutation identified in a newly diagnosed cancer patient, um, now that patient is provided with a family letter, with resources, online resources, written resources, and they essentially send that to their relatives. And now sometimes we never see anybody in that family and, and, and those families exist, but sometimes the next, you know, a week later, we'll receive a table with 15 family members and their Medicare numbers and their dates of birth and all these people want to be seen. So interest within families still varies and is very individualized, but yeah, for sure, the cascade is real and, and uh, challenging to meet all that demand. Have you ever had somebody who you, you really wanted them to tell their family members, but they said, no, absolutely not? Of course, <laughs> we all have those stories. What do you do then? <laughs> oh, it's very distressing. Uh, we've had even more complicated situations where we're seeing a relative of a family we know, and that relative is not aware that a gene mutation is in their family, but we are aware. They are always very challenging situations. We ultimately still preserve the the confidentiality of our of, of the index case, but we try to offer a test that we still think is medically reasonable and and might reveal the same information without identifying that well actually this information is already known in your family. But we tread lightly on those situations, for sure. <laughs> I want to little, learn a little bit more about the process of, of getting the testing. Who is eligible for cancer genetic testing officially? Oh, that's, that's a two-hour conversation and varies across the country. Um, so in some provinces, it's, it's uh, determined by the ministry. And obviously, there are working groups that involve genetic health professionals to determine um, what are the criteria to be referred to genetics and or tested. Uh, in Quebec, um, specifically, we do not have ministry-based criteria. So each in hospital institution, and, and, and most genetics is run out of tertiary university hospital centers, um, have their own sort of criteria. And what that means is there can be differences um, across the province, which is not necessarily good. Um, but um, when it's not standardized, uh, it's a little bit more subjective in terms of who we can test. Are you seeing more previvors opting for testing? 
Absolutely. I, th- I think the, the biggest challenge for me um, in terms of a, from the triage perspective is uh, we have all these classes of patients. We have newly diagnosed patients. We have patients who are palliative. We have patients that need the genetic testing uh, very quickly for therapeutic reasons or surgical decision-making. And then we have the providers. And some of those are family members of individuals tested outside of our institution, you know, relative tested in Paris or in the UK or outside of Quebec. And some are uh, pre-vivers, family members from families that have been tested in our own institution. And sort of how do you prioritize those individuals? Uh, Do you prioritize them by the, the, the risk associated with the gene, by their age? Do you prioritize the cancer patients versus the healthy patients? Um, it's a ever moving pendulum. Um, it's an imperfect algorithm. And like I said, the, the wider the net is cast in terms of genetic testing, and we are casting the net increasingly wide, the more previvers we have and figuring out what is the best way forward to meet, to meet their needs. From your standpoint, how long do you think is too long to wait for uh, cancer genetic testing? Mm, that's a great question. Oh my gosh. I mean, look, I think in a perfect world, um, we would see everybody within three to six months. Um, But uh, there's not a center in Canada where I think uh, that is the case. Um, Many wait lists span two to three plus years. I've heard in some provinces upwards of five plus years. Um, Not for a previver, for a known gene mutation. Ideally, somebody should not wait uh, any more than a year, and even a year is way too long. But yes, uh, wait lists, uh, I think, in certain places where demand is high and the number of genetic health professionals does not meet the demand, um, the waits are, are exceedingly high. You had a chance to listen to Lisa's story. How often does that happen, that someone is waiting for a genetic test and gets cancer or someone who has cancer and dies while waitlisted for genetic testing? We all have these stories, and um, thankfully they are not common, uh, but yes, um, we've had this happen before. You mentioned um, you know, a patient who is referred with a diagnosis of cancer, but is waitlisted because there's nothing particular about their pathology, their age, or their family history that would prioritize them. Um, and then when they're contacted for an appointment, we found out that they've passed away. So administratively, imagine the challenge of having hundreds to over a thousand people on a wait list and administratively trying to monitor their changing health status. It's just not possible. Um, I think it's one thing to highlight the struggles of the system, the problems, the wait times. I think it's another jump to say that had that person had access to more timely genetic testing, that cancer could have been prevented. Um, And we have to be careful about drawing those conclusions. Mm. But it makes you wonder. It does make you wonder. You mentioned the log jams in the system and and the lack of, of supply of genetic testing to meet what is a mushrooming demand do you see a way to a better future? And if so, what, what, what is that? What is the way that will increase the supply of genetic testing that'll be more commensurate with demand, the demand that we know is going to grow? 
The answer is, I'm not sure. <laughs> we're, we're trying many things out through mainstreaming. We also need to think about our laboratory capabilities as well. And on the back end, the more gene carriers you identify, do we have the resources to care for these people, right? Because the logjam is going to exist somewhere. You start getting really good at identifying mutation carriers, and then they wait three, four years for a preventative mastectomy. Aren't we not causing harm there as well? So, there, you know... <laughs> Each center doesn't have 15 plastic surgeons doing prophylactic mastectomy, I can tell you. So it, it's not so straightforward as let's just test everybody quickly. <laughs> no. And, and you know, from, from, from my understanding, uh, Canada is graduating 40 genetic counselors a year. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a lot. No, it's not. <laughs> and many of them are not even employed in Canada after they graduate because there's no, there's no positions for them in, in centers where we need them. Why not? Well, ask the government. <laughs> we're the government. We're not interested in preventative care, right? We're we're interested in putting resources into treating disease, uh, and genetics is not in the business of treating disease, right? We we're identifying at-risk people. So, I think in in the pecking order, um, we've never been prioritized. Wow, that's quite a statement. I want to bring that. We've been talking about the system. I want to bring this back to to previvers. What do you say to them? To the to the potential previvers who are listening to to uh, this conversation, but don't know yet that they are previvers. What do you say to them? I say to them to come sit with us, come meet with us, come hear about your options. Um, genetic counseling does not obligate you to undergo genetic testing, um, and you might learn. Um, that you have a lot of misconceptions about what genetic testing entails, risks associated with insurance or things you've heard from your friends or the media, um, and that testing positive means ultimately you have to undergo preventative surgery. So these are sort of all myths that can kind of keep patients from pursuing um, genetic testing for fear that they'll end up in a situation that they were trying to avoid. And, and ultimately, it's still your decision. And of course, we would um, always support someone who, who chooses to defer testing or decline altogether. Um, that's a very personal choice. But I think just being informed of what are your options and what is available to you um, once you test positive. We, we, don't, we don't declare someone high risk and then abandon them. We actually take really good care of them once we identify them to be high risk. Well, you've given us a lot to think about, Laura Palma, and I want to thank you for uh, coming on to White Coat Black Art to talk about genetic counseling for people at risk of cancer, for previvers. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. In many parts of Canada, would-be cancer previvers and people who already know they have cancer wait too long for genetic testing. The system must provide more timely access to genetic testing, more genetic counselors, and greater access to cancer treatments, especially surgery. Providing that will inevitably cost a lot of money. That's our show this week. If you have comments on anything to do with cancer previvorship, email us at whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Stephanie Dubois with help from Isabel Gallant and Amina Zoffer. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza, and our senior producer this week is Jeff Goods. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.